Morning, everybody. Happy Mondays. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. The best ones do get a News Agenda mug. Those of you listening later on podcast, I'm afraid you're just going to have to shout at the sky. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the evidence of genocide committed in the suburbs of Kyiv, with 300 bodies found in one town alone, more than 400 in total so far. U.S. satellite imagery has uncovered what looks like a mass grave in a churchyard, 45 foot long. Uh, and I'm sure journalists are heading there this morning to establish if it is. And war crimes investigations have already begun on the ground. Now, Human Rights Watch, which is an organisation that funds, shuns funding from any government in order to maintain its impartiality, uh, says this. Russian forces in the village of Stary Bikiv in the Cherniv region, so hope I've got that right, rounded up at least six men on February the 27th, later executed them, according to the mother of one of the men. Russian forces in Butcher, 30 kilometres northwest of Kiev, rounded up five men and summarily executed one of them. A witness told Human Rights Watch that soldiers forced the five men to kneel on the side of the road, pulled the T-shirts over their heads and shot one of the men in the back of the head. And in a third incident, Russian soldiers in the village of Vorzel, about 50 kilometres northwest of Kiev, threw a smoke grenade into a basement, then shot a woman and a 14-year-old child as they emerged from the basement where they'd been sheltering. Now, Jason, this kind of stuff seems pretty incontrovertible, doesn't it? These are towns that the Russians have had control of for weeks and have now retreated from. Who else could have done this but Russian soldiers? I mean, it, it, as you say, the evidence, it... it looks kind of incontrovertible but the, the, the question here is is you know russia also has history of this we we know that at the kind of towards the end of the second world war there were terrible war crimes committed by the russians as they moved into germany as many as two million women were raped so this is kind of it's part of their way of operating i mean it, it's absolutely horrific i mean there's some of the comments you Eyewitness reports you took from Human Rights Watch have been kind of corroborated in other areas by great reporting by the BBC's Jeremy Bowen, for instance. I mean, absolutely kind of shocking stories of, of, of kind of, you know, kind of indiscriminate killing of, of civilians, often with their hands tied behind their backs. I mean, that doesn't, I don't see how you can kind of deny responsibility from that. I mean, obviously, the, the Kremlin propaganda machine will try to. And if it won't try and deny responsibility, but the other thing it would do is it will hide it from the Russian people. Well, exactly. That will be going on as well, won't it? Now, what do you think, everybody? There's evidence that's emerged over the weekend, the stuff in the mirror today. Um, what do you think these are war crimes? What do you think about them? Um, what do you want to have done about them? Most importantly, I suppose, is one of the questions we need to address next. Now, inside on pages four and five there's detail from what seems to be a massacre at a town called Butcher. President Zelensky calls this genocide and his spokesman says they've found people uh, bound hands and feet as Jason said there with bullets in the head or chest along with half burned bodies as though someone had tried to hide the crimes but didn't have enough time to do it properly. And as you were saying Jason the Russian people aren't going to know anything about any of this they're never going to find out about it but the Russian government know that we've found it. So how are they going to try and spin this, do you think? Well, I mean, I mean, the, the interesting point here is, is that, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine because it claimed it was part of a greater 
kind of Russian Empire and kind of Russian-speaking areas. And, and you, you wonder what sort of warped mentality says you are part of our greater family and then commits crimes of atrocity like this. It's extraordinary. And, and it shows the kind of, you know, the depravity of, of, of Putin. And I kind of find that incredibly disturbing. I mean, as I said earlier, I don't think the Russian people will, will get to know about this unless they are kind of able to access outside media. Um, and, you know, the, the, the success, as we've seen with other kind of tyrannical regimes, is that, you know, you, the, the propaganda keeps being pumped out and... and people, a lot of people will believe it. And it will take some sort of, in years to come, some sort of kind of program similar to the denazification program in post-war Germany, I think, for, for Russian people to understand the horrors which have been committed by the Putin regime. Yeah, and remember, he's had he's had 20 years to make them think this way and to think this mm. is genuine. There's been some footage coming out from Russia of normal Russian citizens who do think that Ukraine, uh, I think it's Kohols, which is a derogatory mm. term for Ukrainians in Russian, that they say they should be just stopped. Um, Michael, who possibly not his real name, I don't know, says this is Western criminal propaganda. Uh, it's not the West who've gone in there and done this. Uh Oluwanmi, good morning. Please share the evidence we just did. You saw it. Um, I know that there are going to be people out there who are perfectly reasonable human beings, but have seen stuff online and are th questioning this and are thinking, therefore, they need to question it too and are starting to see reasons there. You need to question yourself where you saw it online and who put that online and if they themselves perhaps were influenced by something that's coming out of Russia. Claire Acton says, proof or just sensationalised headlines to get views like you always do. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, I mean, to, to Cleric has raised there. I mean, this is a really difficult decision we have to make. We 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 know the images are are really difficult to watch and can be very disturbing. We we kind of think deeply about what we should publish and shouldn't publish. It's not about chasing views, Cleric. It's it's about how far we can tell the truth without causing upset. And, and these are you know these are not decisions taken lightly at all. But if the truth is shocking, then surely people should know. And whether, you know, the numbers involved are always secondary to those decisions. But I'm glad you raised the point because it is an interesting one. Yes. And um, there'll be lots of people saying that these uh, newspapers and media outlets are trying to put this stuff out in order to get clicks and so on. Uh, if we were trying to do that, then and you wanted to, if we just want to show you the evidence, for example, of someone with a bullet in the back of the head, then trust me, Cleric, you don't want to see it. I've seen it and it's not very nice. And you don't want to see it over your cornflakes and it wouldn't be fair or reasonable to put it in a newspaper or on a website or on Facebook. It's gruesome and unpleasant and we don't need to be desensitized by that. Uh, you need to listen to groups like Human Rights Watch, which are not in any way affiliated to any government of any sort and see them as the independent adjudicators that they are. Caroline says, it's more fake propaganda. They've been at war within themselves for 10 years now, hence the mass graves. Do your research. What about the atrocities committed by Germans to the Russians? Yes, Caroline, you're right, there were. Uh, in the Second World War, Germans and Russians committed atrocities against each other on the Eastern Front, and it was pretty horrific. Um, but what we do know is that that mass grave has appeared in a churchyard recently. Satellite imagery has proved that. Um, and we also know... Uh, they were all Azov in civilian clothes. So Georgi is suggesting that these were Ukrainian soldiers. Okay, Georgi, let's just take this on the face a bit. 
if these people who have been shot in the back of the head, bound hand and foot, and that, that's all been seen and substantiated and proved, if they were Ukrainian soldiers, it's still a war crime to shoot them in the back of the head and summarily execute them. Okay, If they are prisoners uh, of the opposing forces, they should be taken prisoner and they should be treated according to the Geneva Convention and given fair trials, perhaps eventually returned to their country of origin. They should not be bound with an army bootlace, have a bullet in the back of the head and then have their shoes robbed off them. That's mm. not standard military behaviour. It's still a war crime, whether they're civilian or whether they're soldiers. Sorry, Jason. Diana asks a favourite question. Why do some people deny the truth? I, I, I'm, I'm completely baffled by these people suggesting it's kind of kind of Ukrainian propaganda. I mean, I mean, if you really wanted to stage this, it's quite an effort to actually destroy half your country, um, to create you know this kind of this kind of scenic backdrop of of, of bombed out cars, buildings, uh, to to actually you know destroy your own hospitals, um, your own theatres, your own schools. And, oh. and, and just because you think that, you know, this is what you would, Caroline earlier suggested was propaganda. I, I, I think the evidence, Caroline, if you, you know, you're, you've got journalists going out there who are risking their lives on a daily basis. They're not going to come back and say, make up what they see, are they? No. And these I, journalists I, are not in state-run organisations. And I, I would seriously question, you know, who would you trust, an independent journalist, the Human Rights Watch, who's Husey cited earlier, or, 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 or the Kremlin, which has a history of, of, of disinformation? Um, yeah. but that's your choice. I mean, if you think it's the other one, there you go. The good thing is, of course, that in uh, in the United Kingdom, you're allowed to express those views that are opposing sort of the general accepted attitude towards things. You're not allowed to do that in Russia. And that's perhaps why you're in the United Kingdom and not living in Russia. Alina says the KGB, now FSB, it keeps its power only by propaganda. It's necessary to rule and control the masses. That's exactly what's happening in Russia, of course. Now keep asking us your questions. Let us know what you think about these war crimes and the propaganda that seems to be pumping out and certainly seems to have persuaded some people on Facebook that the Ukrainians have gone and obliterated their own cities with long range artillery they don't possess. Um, and somehow crept into a suburb occupied by Russian soldiers, killed a load of Ukrainians, and then left the bodies lying about, and the Russian soldiers didn't notice it before they left. Funny that. Now, there has been mass condemnation from European and US leaders, but we've yet to hear from quite a good chunk of the world, actually, which doesn't seem too concerned about this yet, because it's not a world war, is it? And even in Europe, where we're talking about new sanctions today, the process of moving away from Russian oil and gas and the infrastructure is going to take a while. Germany is talking about diversifying its gas supplies, about nationalising sections of uh, Russian-owned pipeline. But that's a, a legal process. You can't do it overnight. So, Jason, what useful thing can we all the West do about any of this? Because we're not about to invade Russia to settle the point and haul them all to the Hague like we did in World War Two, are we? Well, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, now we've seen these pictures of atrocities and the comparisons have been drawn with Srebrenica and with what happened in Rwanda. It is obviously going to kind of amplify calls for whether we should reconsider getting involved. I don't think it will happen. I think they're far too worried about escalating the war beyond the boundaries of Ukraine. But you can see why there's a, there's a moral argument that if 
people are being killed by genocide in this way, then, you know, do stand on the sidelines and, and allow it to happen. Um, and this is something people have wrestled with on many previous occasions throughout history. Um, so, I mean, if you ask what we can do, the best thing we could have done is probably turn back the clock. And this is a thing that Zelensky has mentioned as well. You know, he singled out kind of, kind of, kind of Merkel for criticism for, for, for what the Ukrainians see as kind of 20 years of appeasement of, 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 of Russia. But, you know, but Germany allowed itself to be in a position where it can't just suddenly uncouple itself from Russian oil and gas supplies because it's so reliant on it. Is that, do, you think, is, do you think that might sort of be somehow be linked to sort of post-war guilt about the conflict on the Eastern Front in World War post-war II? Post-war guilt and, and, and classic Merkel pragmatism, you know, mm. what is the best way to do this with the least kind of... Uh, Kind of release, kind of resistance. You know, yeah. let's be get a decent cheap oil supply, and we can try and can kind of contain Putin at the same time. And it, it obviously failed. Hmm. In terms of what we can do here and now, I mean, there's talk of actually trying to provide more armory for Ukraines. Actually, finally get some tanks in, for instance. Um, we could see that happening. Uh, there's a fresh round of of EU and NATO meetings going on all this week. Um, where they, they will announce kind of further sanctions. But I mean, you do question, ask, the first question I ask is, why didn't they impose these tougher sanctions right at the beginning? Why, why we got to this ratcheting stage? We're only doing it now because of, a, of the horror we've seen, but this horror is probably inevitable anyway. So that could have been done right from the beginning. And the second question is, you know, will the sanctions make any difference? It doesn't seem to, they don't seem to have done much so far in terms of persuading the Russians to behave any differently. No, uh, and arguably maybe even made it worse. Who knows? Now, keep mm. asking us your questions. What do you think, everybody? What can we do to stop this kind of thing or to register our disapproval? We can't just sign a petition. This is something a bit more important. And um, perhaps, you know, there are some, some signs of something we can do. Now, so as Jason's already mentioned, Jamie Byrne of the BBC has got a lot of investigations of some of the early raw footage of these crimes before those bodies are disposed of, buried or put in cold storage. So he's got them sort of in situ, as it were. He's going to hand that over. And the Sunday Times reported yesterday that the bodies of men, women and children have been found in a basement, mutilated with their teeth ripped out and injuries to their bodies as well. Before or after death, we do not know at this stage. There are reports of widespread rape used as a weapon of war against women and children of all ages. And now Richard Moore, also known as C, head of MI6, has said that in advance, and I, we know this as well because I think the Ukrainian Secret Service said much the same, um, the West knew that Putin's invasion plans included summary executions. He actually planned for this. Now, Margaret says, people want to wake up and stop looking through rose-tinted glasses. This is real. People are dying. It's so wrong. It's brutal and barbaric. My heart goes out to all the Ukrainian people. But unless someone hands him over, Margaret, Mr. Putin, we've got no way of punishing him, do we, Jason? Now, But he fears that sort of Gaddafi-style ending at the hands of a mob. But when 80% of his nation, according to surveys, support him, that's not going to happen either, is it? I mean, no, I mean, there's two ways that possibly Putin could be removed. And I, and I stress the word possibly in that sentence. But the, the first is that, is that the, the Duma, the kind of the Russian parliament and the, what they call the Siliviki, which is the kind of the, the hard core of kind of um, security henchmen around Putin, they turn against him um, because 
the conflict is going badly, they're facing maybe a decade, if not more, of, of a kind of Chechnya type situation or an Afghan type situation, neither of which the Russians want to repeat again. Um, so so that, that's one possible way. The other is actually the military. Um, you know, we, we've been reading a lot of reports from quite good intelligence sources saying the military are deeply unhappy of this war um, and there's tensions between the Kremlin and the military. And that's the other possibility. But I mean, both are quite re remote. But those, those are the, the, you know, if you're, you're, you want to cling on to a little bit of hope, that, that may be the way it happens. Yeah. Now, Simon says it's also reported that Putin is terrified of assassination and a military coup because he's just sacked. 12 generals for the failing of the Ukrainian war. He's also employed a body double. His security are tasting his food. Does this all sound familiar? It's exactly what Hitler did when he knew he was losing. To be fair, Simon, Hitler had quite a few years in power before he got to that point um, and quite a few years of war, five years of war before he got to that point. Uh, Putin seems to have managed it in about a month, which is perhaps a sign that it's all going to end hopefully a lot sooner than the Second World War did. But interestingly, Jason, one point that Simon makes there before we move on to the next story, I wanted to say is at the start of the war, we had an awful lot of intelligence coming out to the US, which they were publishing, about exactly what the invasion plans were. And now we know, as Simon pointed out, a number of generals have been arrested. Some are under house arrest. Some have been fired. Quite a few have left. Uh, and that some people have been accused of leaking information to the West by Russia. So it looks like there were a lot of very people who were very close to Putin and to this invasion who were higher ups in the Russian government giving this information to the West somehow or another. So perhaps there's a possibility there, especially if they're under arrest now and can say, I've got nothing to do with the war crimes because I wasn't involved in them. I'm not the one going to The Hague. Perhaps they can negotiate with the US and with others to hand over Putin and those who are responsible for these crimes in return for a clear path to power and the lifting of sanctions eventually. Maybe that's the maybe that's the exit route here. Who knows? I mean, really difficult to, but, but yeah. the, the, the one thing is, you know, the, the intelligence which was so bad over Iraq, they have slightly redeemed themselves to the intelligence on this. Yes, <laughs> yes they pulled the blinder, whoever it was who was the source yeah. there. Um, obviously deserves a nice big mansion in Surrey or something. Now, we do need to move on to the next story, but keep giving us your questions. Uh, let us know what you think, get into the comments. Now, on page seven in the mirror, there are more leaks, as predicted, about who's been fined for taking part in lockdown parties at number 10. And in a development that we could not have made up if we tried, even if we were paid propaganda merchants of the terrible Boris Johnson regime, um, a woman called Helen McNamara, who was in charge of Whitehall ethics at the time of the lockdown parties, turns out to have been one of those fined. She brought a karaoke machine to the boozy leaving do that ended up with breaking Wilf Johnson's swing in the garden. Now, Jason, does this explain, perhaps, why number 10's ethics appear to have been so completely screwy down during this whole farce. I mean, it's really quite hard to imagine how the ethics chief is, gets fined herself. I mean, she has now left number 10. Um, but that, that's quite impressive. She's in the Premier it? League now, isn't she? Which yes, of course yeah, is she's gone on to, to an organisation to, to sort out all the, all the, all the dodgy money flowing, flooding into <laughs> football. <laughs> <laughs> Deary me. And it was a karaoke machine, apparently, originally brought into number 10 some years ago by, wait for it, everybody, Sue Gray. So yeah. it, it gets murkier. She likes the ballad. I, I mean, stepping back from the, the sheer joy of the ethics chief being fined, 
or former FX chief, we've tried. And we still don't know exactly how many fines have been issued. And she's one of a few names that people we do know have been fined. And it, it really is it kind of, I think, unacceptable that if you've got people at the heart of government responsible for making the rules which the rest of us were meant to follow, and if they're being given a criminal sanction, but we don't know their names. Yeah. And I just think that Downing Street refusing to name these people is is wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's it's also unfair on the, the, those people whose names do come out, but we don't know the others. So, I mean, you know, I have some sympathy for, for Helen McMahon on this, but, you know, but she's, you know, kind of being kind of shamed. But actually, there may be people who are more senior to her um, who are getting aware of it. Well, and, that's uh, where the future leaks come from, isn't it? Someone who yeah. feels that they've been wrongly treated, starting mm. to point people in the right direction. Now, these are mostly civil servants we know getting the fines. There weren't a lot of elected politicians at these events, one famous one, of course. Um, <clears throat> so there's an argument, I suppose, for saying that they deserve some privacy. They're not democratically elected. But mm. I think, Jason, if someone, if a top civil servant at the Department of Transport got a, who was in charge of speeding offences got given a speeding fine, I think there'd be an FOI battle the Mirror would win saying we need to name that person, wouldn't there? That would come out. Yeah, I mean, I think you could take this everywhere. You know, if, if, you know, if the environment section was caught fly tipping, you'd want to know, wouldn't you? You know, I mean, these things are... <laughs> yeah, now Simon says, yeah. why were these people only fined 50 quid for breaking the rules when people who had parties in lockdown were given fines of £10,000? It stinks. The Conservatives have got away with it again. I think there was supposed to always supposed to be a range uh, of of fines. So 50 quid is for the lower end of the spectrum. £10,000 is for organising a giant rave, in theory. But of course, some people have got £10,000 fines for smaller parties, and I think also snowball fights as well. So there is some unfairness there. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a topic for judicial review, perhaps, if anybody can crowdfund one of those. Who knows? Now, um, we are going to get back to some of your questions at the end. So keep them coming in. We'll, we'll wrap up at the end with some of your questions about sanctions and party gate. So get those in. But first off, there is some good news in the world. And here it is. Now, they say everybody's got a book in them. I've lost count of the ones I've started writing and without a deadline, never got further than the front page. Uh, but great-grandma, Margaret Barry, who's 85 and lives in Dundee, has just landed her first book deal. She started a wartime romance called Of Time and Tide, sounds great, 22 years ago, put it on a shelf, unfinished, and went back to it just before COVID struck. And then after some encouragement from her son, she finished it off and sent it to a publisher. And she now has three, count them, three book deals to choose from for it. Now, Jason, is this proof that I suppose no matter what we're doing and whether it's Partygate or Ukraine or anything else, we just need to persist and it will all come good in I, the end? I think, one, we need to persist because, you know, you've done lots of books, Susie. So, you know, I've, I've done three, and, but and there's you're young. five somewhere in the... And you're young. <laughs> <laughs> Not as young as I was. Not yeah. as young as I started my first one. The other thing about this, I've always thought about this as writing. I mean, it doesn't really matter what age you are to be a good writer. I mean, you could be, you know, you could be 20 or you could be 85. Yeah. And it, I mean, I just age is kind of irrelevant, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, it should be. I think you're supposed to, you know, I think when I started writing because I didn't know anything. So I couldn't really ever finish anything because I didn't know what I was doing. And I've had a sense, especially over 40, you think you've 
been around the block now. I know what's what. You write what you know, they always say, and it seems to work, doesn't it? Mm. Now, Erica says, I'm talking to a traumatised woman and child in Odessa who I can provide accommodation for. Can the mirror help me get them out and over to the UK? Jason, I think that there's a huge problem, isn't there, in getting refugees. There are people that have made contact with refugees in other countries, desperate to get them across. I could speak for another 20 minutes on this. I mean, it's just the government could not have designed a scheme which actually made it harder to get people out of the country. I mean, it's it's almost like they were being deliberately obstructive. So you have to, first of all, you have to find somebody in Ukraine who needs help, which is actually quite difficult in itself. Um, because there was no kind of clear central kind of area where they could all apply to. Um, Then once you've hooked up with somebody in in Ukraine, then you have to get them to fill out a visa form. The visa form is is, as bureaucratic and cathartic as you can imagine the Home Office could produce. About 30 days. And this is the clincher. It's only available in English. So if if your Ukrainian person has no English at all, it's impossible for them to fill out. So they didn't even think about maybe doing a, a form in Ukrainian. Um, and then they were required not only to fill out dozens and dozens of pages, including like, is your 12 year old son a kind of terrorist answer? Yes or no. Um, and the, you then have to provide documentation. Now, these people, a lot of them have left their home at very short notice, in the most harrowing conditions. Uh, documents could easily have been destroyed because of the Russian bombardment they are they are fleeing for their lives and the, and the, the home office decided it's like oh yes you know we want sort of same sort of kind of kind of you know paperwork you'd need to apply for a passport in this country it's just not possible for most of them they have not fought it through and then that processing process is so slow that that they just you know but they're barely doing 300 a day and we're talking, you know, there's four million refugees. Yeah. One bit of good news, I suppose, Eric, because I saw today there's some suggestion that Boris Johnson may finally have grasped the fact that Pretty Patel is no, not the person to sort out the state of the Home Office. So perhaps there'll be a new one soon. I don't think the mirror can actually provide you with a visa or do much to help it, I'm afraid, apart from amplifying your story there, Erica. But I think perhaps Margaret gives us the best advice today, which is just persist keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, and things will turn right in the end. Let's hope so, eh? Now, thank you for joining, everybody. Thank you for coming along, Jason. Uh, There will be no news agenda this week because I am going to be in Harry Potter world with a birthday six-year-old. So uh, I won't be here doing this. I'll be there doing that. So we will see you again next Monday. No, yes, next Monday for another edition of the news agenda. Bye-bye, everyone.